Well, I vividly remember a time when our children were ages five, three, and one. And those of you who are parents or who have been parents can picture what a household was like with three kids in those ages. So we had these three busy, active kids, and I was in a season where I was facing some intense pressure at work, and I was putting in 60-hour weeks. And Julie had temporarily stepped aside from her work life to devote herself to full-time to our young family, and she was having to manage things without a lot of support from me. And it was a very intense season. And as you might imagine, after doing that for weeks and weeks and weeks, we were feeling pressed. And we desperately needed a break. And so we got some friends who graciously agreed to watch our kids, and we went away to a weekend spiritual retreat. And oh, was that a great time of encouragement and refreshment. Those Those few days were so life-giving because we rested and we relaxed, but we also experienced physical and emotional and spiritual renewal. And we had some wonderful times of worship and prayer. And because we were praying more, we felt like God was pouring into us greater wisdom about our life together and, and our family. And we felt this growing closeness to God and we felt a growing hunger for God. You see, the more we prayed, the more we wanted to pray. The more we prayed, the more it cultivated within us this deep longing to spend time with God. What a wonderful retreat. And then we came home. We came home to diapers and temper tantrums. We came home to long days and the demands of work. We came home to the routines of chores and to the challenges of paying the bills, and we allowed ourselves to get distracted by all of that, and so we resumed our old habits, and we didn't spend much time in prayer. And because we were not talking with God as much, we weren't listening as much. And then we had a harder time seeing him at work in our daily lives. And so over the next several weeks, our our longing for God, our thirst for God, it slowly waned. It just wasn't as strong. And we realized that we had fallen into this unhealthy pattern where we were fitting God into our lives when it was convenient rather than viewing our connection with God as essential and life-giving. And we realized that what we needed to do was to cultivate a consistent longing for God. And what we learned at that retreat is that the best way to do that is to pray. To pray no matter how we feel and no matter how busy we are. Because the more we pray, the more our longing for God will grow. And a deep longing for God is what sustains us when times get rough. So so going through that season prompted Julie and I to make some changes in our rhythm of life. And so we made a commitment that we would pray. We would make time to pray. 
because we realize that prayer is our relational lifeline to God. And as we made that shift in our lives, we found great encouragement from the prayers recorded in Scripture. And in particular, we were drawn to Psalm 42, which is a prayer offered by our spiritual ancestor, King David of Israel. I said last week, and it's worth repeating, that the prayers written in the Bible are very special precisely because they are recorded in the Bible. They are part of Scripture which has been given to us by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Which means the prayers in the Bible are Spirit-inspired prayers. And our God graciously has given us these prayers so we can learn how to pray. And Psalm 42 is particularly encouraging because David shows that it's possible to keep praying in any circumstance of life. David is able to pray even when everything seems to be going wrong because he's cultivated a deep, consistent longing for God. It's a longing that makes David thirsty for God whenever they're separated. And that's what we're going to see in this spirit-inspired prayer recorded in the Bible this morning. However, before we look at the prayer, there are two interesting statements that precede it. And I'd like us to take a look at those. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. So why is that there and what does it mean? Well, those little words, whenever they appear before a psalm, are called an ascription, which is a form of dedication. And the, this particular ascription reveals a very interesting story behind the prayer. You see, Korah and his sons were singers and instrumentalists who led music worship during the services in the Jewish temple. They were kind of like our musical worship team, although the instruments they played were really different. <laughs> no electric guitars. So, so David wrote out this prayer, and then he gave it to the Korah family so they could set it to music. They turned his prayer into a worship song. And then they took it to the choir master at the temple, who was the music director, and then they could use it in public worship. But, but to me, this raises a question. Why would David take an intensely personal prayer, and as we're going to see in a minute, this is a very intensely personal prayer. Why would he take a personal prayer and then make it public? The reason is because this prayer is a maskil. Very interesting word. Maskil is an ancient Hebrew musical term that refers to teaching. Now, isn't that interesting? Music and teaching going together. You see, music in worship always has a purpose beyond just making us feel good. And so as we listen and sing, we should pay attention to the lyrics that we're singing. And we can embrace the spiritual purpose that each song offers to us. 
And so there are some worship songs that help us express our praise and adoration of God. There are some songs that invite us to confess our sin and our brokenness. And some songs, like the one we're about to see, are for the purpose of instruction. This is a prayer that became a worship song to teach us how to pray. And in particular, its purpose is to help us learn the value of longing for God in any and all circumstances. And as this prayer begins, David is in circumstances where he expresses that longing for God. And he does so by stating that he's thirsty. He is thirsty for God. Let's look at the first couple of verses of this prayer. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, now what's interesting about these first couple of verses is because we're reading them and not hearing the inflection of David's voice, we don't know what level of thirst he's actually feeling. We don't know what level of desperation he has for God. And what's interesting is the way that these verses normally are pictured for Christians. Could I have that next slide, please? How many of you have seen something like this, right? I can't tell you how many posters and wall hangings and note cards and things I've seen with a, some kind of picture like this with the word opening verses of Psalm 42. And, and it's giving us this picture of a deer strolling along beautiful green grass, coming down to this rich oasis of water and taking a sip from a cool stream or a cool little pond. And everything's calm and everything's serene and it seems so peaceful. But, but David's telling us that he's panting for God. And you pant after some exertion. You pant when there's some desperation. And so I think this next picture actually is a better description. Now, now I don't think you'd sell as many copies of a poster <laughs> looking like that, but, but I actually think it's a bit more accurate. Because as we're about to see in this prayer, David is at one of the lowest points of his life. And his prayer expresses the longing of a believer who is deeply, deeply thirsty for God. He's thirsty as if his throat is parched and raw because he is so anxious to have God be present in a powerful way. And what David shows us in his prayer, when we are spiritually dry, that's not the time to turn away from God and look for refreshment elsewhere. When we are dry, the best thing to do is to keep praying and fan the flames of hope. And even in those moments when we might feel driven away from God by the harsh circumstances of life, we can choose to keep looking up to Him. And that's what David does. And we're going to see that rhythm repeat throughout this prayer. Problems, he looks up. Problems, he looks up. David continually looks to God. Let's continue on in verse 3. 
My tears have been my food day and night. Isn't that an interesting picture? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Oh, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now we get this picture of where David is actually at, mentally and emotionally, spiritually. He's so low that he's spending hours weeping. And he's crying because there's this deep ache in his heart and his soul as a direct result of some very painful circumstances. And we have a pretty good indication from history what those circumstances are. It's most likely that David offers this prayer at a time when his son Absalom has organized a rebellion against him and driven him out of Jerusalem. Just think about that. His own son has betrayed him and driven him away because he wants to take over the throne. Talk about a badly broken relationship. Could anything be more painful than that? Well, actually, yes. We need to remember David is God's chosen king. And so it's natural to ask, God, how could you let that happen? It's no wonder that David's enemies use this to mock his faith. Hey, where's your God, David? If God's really on your side, none of this would be happening to you. And that is, that is such a common way for critics to cut down believers. I've had that happen to me. Some of you may have had that happen to you. And it's no fun to be on the receiving end of that, but it's not an excuse to run away from God. And the fact is, we know that just because we try to live by faith doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. And it occurs to me that when we get criticism from someone outside the faith saying, where's God? That might actually be a chance to help a skeptic understand what the life of faith really is all about. So here's David, betrayed by his son, driven from his home and harassed by his critics. Yet it still gets worse because of the spiritual implications of being driven out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. The temple is where God makes his presence known. And so David is physically separated from God. Oh, oh, yes, he can pray, but he can't actually draw near to God in the way that he wants. He can't be physically close to God in a way that warms his soul. That only happens when he's in the temple. And so it's no wonder that he prays, when do I get to come and appear before God? Oh, he is so hungry for God's presence. 
But what this tells us is that despite everything that is going wrong, he's not turning away. He keeps looking up. And he uses many different approaches in prayer to help him keep his focus on God. I mean, as we've seen, we've only gone through part of the prayer, but David, David talks about God, and he talks to God, and then he even talks to himself, which might strike us as a little bit odd. Well, why does David talk to his own soul? Well, I think it's a way of, of assessing his own spiritual state. So he can be honest with himself and with God about how he's doing. And it's a reminder not to wallow in misery, but to put his hope in God and look forward to a brighter future. And we need to understand that that this isn't just a personal pep talk as he talks to himself. And that's because these words are offered in an attitude of prayer. And, and I can't fully explain it, but it's one thing for us to talk to ourselves at random moments during the day, which I actually do a lot, maybe you do as well. It's one thing to talk to ourselves like that, but it's another thing to talk to ourselves during prayer. And there must be something significant in this because it's a recurring pattern in many Bible prayers. We read and we see believers talking to themselves while they pray. And so I only can conclude that the Holy Spirit must be working in such moments to give those words greater spiritual vitality. And so David talks to his soul. And it's a reminder to his soul to trust and hope in God. And that gives him strength to keep looking for God no matter how bad things get. And David does keep looking for God again and again and again as he continues to pray. Even though he feels beaten down by life and even beaten down by God, he keeps looking up. Let's continue on, verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night, listen to this, at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So it's apparent we pay attention to the flow of these words, that David is very spiritually conflicted. He's like on this emotional roller coaster. Because he feels beaten down and then he keeps looking up. And, and he's in awe of this God who can create a roaring waterfall and yet he feels beaten down by that very same power. And this reference to the waves and the waterfalls is indicative of something significant spiritually. You may not... You may not know this, but to the ancient Jews, water was a powerful metaphor. And ocean waves and roaring waterfalls were metaphors for God's judgment and God's justice, particularly when those images of water are used in the Psalms. 
what David is telling us is that he's feeling not only beaten down by circumstances, he wonders if he's being beaten down by God. He wonders if God's seeming silence in this moment is actually a form of punishment. Have you ever felt that way? I have. But what do we do in those moments? Do we run from God? No! We don't run from God because He loves that and He's made that so clear. And so even in those moments when we might wonder if God is punishing us or judging us, we keep calling out to Him because we trust in His love. And we need to trust in His love whether or not He gives us the immediate answer that we prefer. And these particular words about the waves, they're also a reminder that the Spirit-inspired prayers of the Bible are not just for the people who originally spoke them. They're for other believers as well. And that's why the Holy Spirit prompted them to be recorded in Scripture. And so David here in his own situation is speaking metaphorically about the waves, but, but many years later, the prophet Jonah prays these same words literally. Jonah almost drowns in a storm. He's getting tossed around in the ocean and he's getting pounded by waves and breakers before he's swallowed alive by a whale. And we looked at Jonah back in the first part of the year and it's fascinating that a whale that swallowed him is both a form of some judgment and it's also rescue. There's a whole fascinating story there. But Jonah finds himself alive in the belly of a whale. And what does he do? He finds some comfort in taking these words from King David, his spiritual ancestor, and making them his own. If you look in Jonah chapter 2, when Jonah prays from inside a whale, which is just a really weird thing to think about, but he's crying out to God, and he takes these words and he incorporates them into his prayer. And why does Jonah do that? because it's a way of identifying himself with his spiritual ancestor and it's a way of saying to God, just like David, Lord, I've been beaten down. Just like David, Lord, I'm still longing for you. Just like David, Lord, I've not given up hope. That's why these spirit-inspired prayers have such power. And they don't just teach us about prayer. We can make them our own. And we can use them to shape our own prayers whenever and however we need. And because they've been inspired by the Holy Spirit, they have tremendous spiritual power. I, and I don't know about you, but I love praying alone, but I love praying in community. When I get to pray with other believers, there's a, there's a power and a richness that comes with that. You know, we have a group that meets here at, at 9.15. Is that right, Ed? 9.15 on Sunday mornings. You can come in and pray with other believers every Sunday morning before church. There's power in that. But I find that when I pray these spirit-inspired prayers of the Bible, I experience community in a different way. 
I'm experiencing community with my spiritual ancestors. I'm feeling a connection to the historic faith that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It reminds me that I am not alone. As, as the author of Hebrews says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all of these incredible believers who've come before with their testimonies of faith. And when we pray these prayers, we are tied into that. And I find encouragement and strength in that knowing that I'm praying something inspired by the Holy Spirit, prayed by a spiritual ancestor, and I am linked to them through our incredible, great God. Oh, there's tremendous power in the Spirit-inspired prayers of the Bible. And this particular one, this Spirit-inspired prayer from Psalm 42. It's so powerful for us to, to embrace because despite feeling beaten down by life and despite perhaps being even under the judgment of God, David affirms God's love and his watchful care. He refuses to reject God or push God away. There's none of that in this prayer. And even though God seems silent, he knows God is present day and night. And even in this season of despair, he's able to find a song in his heart toward God. There's, there's moments of comfort that keep him going. Moments of hope, even though he feels at the very bottom. And, and boy, does David feel at the bottom. He is so low, he feels crushed. Let's look at the final verses of this prayer. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. David affirms that God is his rock, but his rock seems to have moved. And so David winds up asking the same question his critics ask, where's God? And in this moment for him, there's no easy answer. Intellectually, he knows God is there, but it doesn't feel like it because David's still in his predicament and the end is not in sight. And things have gotten so bad that there's all this pain from the circumstances of his son's betrayal and the mocking of his enemies and, and the separation from God. And that pain is so great that David is in emotional agony and he's actually in physical agony. He feels as if his bones are breaking. And you know what? We often ignore the very real connection between our minds, our emotions, and our bodies. And many times the physical infirmities that we battle originate in our anxiety and our fear and our stress. Things like ulcers, a racing heartbeat, hyperventilation, blood pressure problems. These and other physical issues sometimes, emphasis on some, sometimes are birthed out of our own emotional or spiritual state. 
And so when we pray for our physical health, we also need to ask God to heal our minds and our hearts and our souls. If we can embrace the peace and the hope that God offers, then not only will we feel more calm, our bodies just might function more in the way that God intends. So David aches in his bones because of his agony. And he knows that this soul-level pain will subside when he's restored to God. And, and we know what the enemy does in those moments. He lies to us. He tells us, oh, we've been abandoned by God, so we should just ignore him. And David doesn't do that. No, 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 no. He keeps on praying. He keeps praying even though his situation makes no sense to him. He keeps praying even though he wonders what God is up to. He keeps praying even though he wonders why his problems are not yet resolved. And and those are all very real and very valid questions, yet he knows the only real hope in life comes from God, his rock. So once again, he reminds himself, oh, there will come a day when I feel restored. It will happen. I know it's going to come because God's my rock. What we see in this prayer is that David has cultivated a deep, deep longing for God. It's a longing that never stops, even in this moment when he's driven away and beaten down and crushed by the circumstances of life. His longing for God sustains him, and that's why this prayer ends on a note of hope. And just like David, you and I always can hold on to hope when we hold on to God. And one way we do that is by expressing our longing for Him. We express our longing through consistent and heartfelt prayer, knowing that God alone can quench our deepest spiritual Earlier this week, as I was reading these deeply personal words, I I found myself marveling that David gave this prayer to the Korah family and asked them to turn it into a public worship song. David was the king, and he wasn't afraid to let people know that he struggled. He showed some tremendous humility by offering us this prayer. And why would he do that? Because he knows that his sense of pain and spiritual isolation isn't unique. Everyone goes through low times. David thought people could learn from my difficult, difficult experience. So he wanted men and women of faith, people like you and me, to know how to pray when we're at the bottom. And he wanted us to see how a deep longing for God can keep us from surrendering, surrendering to despair. So David prays in spite of all he faces. A badly broken relationship, relocation from the familiarity of home, distant from God, physical pain, emotional turmoil, spiritual confusion. 
I mean, it's all here. All of the stuff that we so often use as an excuse not to pray. David keeps praying and prayer keeps him going. And here's what's so powerful. This Spirit-inspired prayer can be our prayer. We, like David, can keep praying to cultivate and to express a never-ending longing for God, a longing that will enable us to live with hope no matter what we face, a longing which recognizes that only God can quench the deepest thirst of the human soul. I'd like us to revisit the opening lines of this prayer and remember how David expressed his thirst for God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And that phrase is so powerful because David knows that the only way to appear before God is to get himself back to Jerusalem and back into the temple. That is the only way he can experience God's closeness. It's the only way there's personal connection with God. For him, it can't happen just through prayer. And here's what's so awesome. When we ask that question, we get to come up with a different answer. And that's because everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, by God's grace, has had the Holy Spirit placed within them. God is with us wherever we go. And so when we ask that question, when shall I come and appear before God? Next slide. Anytime we want. Anytime. God is not distant. Oh, He is in us and He is with us. And the way for us to be close to God and to connect with God and experience His presence is to pray. To pray. we're going to do that right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of prayer. Oh, may we never, ever take it for granted. And Father, we thank you for David, our spiritual ancestor, who, who was humble enough to share his hurts and his heartaches so openly with the people of God. Help us to learn from the honesty of his prayer. And may his example Encourage us to make heartfelt personal prayer a consistent part of our lives. And, and, and Lord, I would ask that what happened in David's life would happen in our lives, that the more we pray, that the more our longing for you will grow. And may this give us confidence and hope and assurance so that we can trust you in all circumstances because you are our rock and you are the God who helps us to live with hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.